0: Why did Jesus have to go away? Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of the Seventh Sunday of Easter, May 29, 2022 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. The Ascension is a neglected event in Jesus' life, says Rev. David Pelegi. When we think of what saves us, many of us think of Jesus' death and resurrection. However, every aspect of Jesus' life ministers salvation to us, from his birth all the way to the ascension, from his continuing ministry of intercession before the Father, all the way to his coming return. Ready to do something different? Join David Pelegi this August as he embarks on an in-depth study tour of Poland once home to a vibrant Jewish community that flourished for almost a thousand years. Visit beautiful medieval cities, castles, synagogues, churches, and abandoned cemeteries, from Warsaw to Bialystok, and from Lublin to Krakow, to better understand the Polish-Jewish experience and the ways that Poles and Jews have deeply influenced each other. Come wrestle with the traumatic events of two world wars, and the Nazis' Final Solution, and consider how and why so many ordinary Germans became willing accomplices in the murder of Poland's 3 million Jews. We will also discuss the existence of Hebrew Christian communities that were emerging before the war, and the contours of modern Jewish Messianism, from Shabbatai Zvi to Theodor Herzl. This study tour is designed to help us better our prayer life Sharpeners stand against anti-Semitism and hopefully give us more courage to be faithful witnesses as Christians in our opposition against the idolatry and deceptions of our day. Join David, August 6th through 17th, 2022, for this walk through history. Land cost is 1,749 euros, less than 1900 U.S. dollars. For details and to register, visit... Narrowbridgetour.com. Narrowbridgetour.com.
1: The first reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
2: The second reading is taken from the book of Psalms, chapter 47. Clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King all over the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the surroundings of trumpets, Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations, God is seated on his holy throne, the nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. This is the word of the Lord.
3: The gospel reading today is found in Luke chapter 24. Please stand. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God this is the gospel of the lord thanks be to god let's begin
4: by praying lord we father we ask that uh, you will enable us today to glimpse something of the glory of your risen son as he rules and reigns at your right hand. Lord, may we have a deeper appreciation or even understanding of his holiness, his power, his lordship over all of creation. And Lord, as his children, and the sheep of his pasture, we indeed pray that uh, we will respond accordingly, that uh, we will respond by um, receiving mercy and grace and being challenged to walk in a way that uh, pleases him and glorifies him. To all of those around us. Amen. So it is indeed a neglected feast day, the feast of the ascension. Um, Some countries in Europe still have this as a public holiday. I'm not sure how many people necessarily attend services on Ascension Day, which was on Thursday, it is not um, taken very seriously by most evangelicals. We focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is a good thing, uh, although uh, we oftentimes don't probably put enough emphasis on his life, and uh, sometimes I wonder when I hear uh, teaching and preaching or or folks uh, formulating doctrine or, or doctrinal statements, why Jesus even had to come and have a life for 33 years. Uh, for some people, it would have been enough that he just appeared, died, rose again, and that would have been the end of the story. And when we often leave out his life, we oftentimes leave out the ascension and um, it's not really, again, taken very seriously, or we're not quite understand why we don't quite understand why Jesus goes away. And uh, also, to be honest, you know, this idea of Jesus here today and being um, beamed up, you know, to heaven, uh, sort of disappearing like he's gone off in a spaceship, but. In, <laughs> In this case, a cloud just strikes a lot of folks as being just a little bit odd and uh not something we can always get our not always get our uh head around and perhaps connected with all of this is sort of a distortion that we have you know regarding heaven right somehow Jesus is up in the sky. And he's billions of miles away from us. He's so high and he's so far that our spaceships and our telescopes haven't yet glimpsed, you know, the the pearly gates. But perhaps one day we will. I think that also creates a little bit of a tension, or perhaps even uh, a distortion. You know, it was the it is the Anglican theologian <clears throat> Tom Wright. And uh, I'm, I appreciate Tom Wright, but I don't believe that Tom Wright is always right about everything, <clears throat> he's somewhat controversial. But he very often makes the point, right, that the ancients, the people in the ancient world probably had a little more of a sophisticated understanding of heaven than we do. And heaven wasn't necessarily this place a billion kilometers up in the sky. But uh, uh, heaven, the place, right, where God lives uh, is simply another um, dimension in time and space. And that uh, perhaps we should not understand Jesus is going up to the sky, but Jesus is going, uh, again, to another dimension that um, you might say it's an invisible dimension but it's uh it's space and time that uh has something of a parallel with what we with with our existence uh, here and now and that is where the um certainly where the uh the or maybe the emphasis uh should should be and so we have two accounts from Luke of the, the ascension of Jesus, of Jesus going away. Um, it is not emphasized in any other, is at least not directly mentioned in any of the Gospels. But uh, in case anyone wants to either deny its historicity or certainly confuse it with the resurrection, that would be impossible because the New Testament whether it's the book of hebrews or the book of ephesians or the book of revelation and certainly John's gospel all understand as yes, Jesus being uh sitting at the right hand of the father ruling ruling and reigning and for those of us who are not quite sure why Jesus had to leave remember what John said to us earlier yeah John the deacon uh he quoted the Gospel of John, in which Jesus says, it's better for me to go away. And I think this is perhaps the most obvious and basic understanding of the ascension. Jesus, who comes in uh, uh, human flesh, yes, is only present and available uh, to a very limited number of people. It's that when Jesus goes away, that he can send his Holy Spirit and he can be present with anyone, at any time, in any place. And so this is why Jesus is gonna say, it's better for me to go away. But there are other reasons for the ascension. And uh, one that's, I think, uh, worth us mentioning would be the whole, you might say, the whole concept of Jesus as the high priest. Now in Luke's Gospel, Uh, which, by the way, centers around the temple, begins in the temple, ends uh, in the temple. We have uh, Jesus raising his hands, blessing the people. Later in the book of Hebrews, it's understood that Jesus is a high priest uh, and that the ritual of you might say the redemption uh, is not fully complete uh, with the death and resurrection, but only when Jesus brings, and, and here the imagery is the day of atonement, the priest going into the holy of holies, only when the priest brings the blood right, into the holy of holies and presents it to God uh, only then be the sins of Israel uh would be uh, covered or forgiven, and at that same time, what that priest does, what that priest does is intercede on behalf um, on behalf of the people and so when we understand if we understand now if we do the- the death of Jesus as being this uh, atonement, yes. Book of Hebrews, yes, applies. You might say the day, the day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, to um, to to be the uh, metaphor for what Jesus does, and it's that intercession for us. Yes, that's what a high priest does. The ministry of a priest is again, is one that stands in between God and the people. And uh, priestly intercession, you might say the the intercession of a priest is extremely important. It's not something to be, uh, should be easily uh, overlooked. We sometimes think of the priest as just being involved in some uh, ritual or one ritual or another, but, interceding on behalf of the people. And interestingly enough, Jesus, right, who is our high priest, the book of Hebrews not only emphasizes the place of the blood, his death, his resurrection, but also stresses the importance of intercession. Yes, so Jesus has to ascend to the Father, uh, enters the true Holy of Holies, Right, brings the sacra- brings the blood. How that happens, I'm not sure, but also s- remains in God's presence. Doesn't come out, so to speak. Remains in God's presence to do what? To continually intercede on our behalf. And uh, this is, of course, beautifully. Uh, uh, Emphasized for us in Ephesians, I can read uh, one or two verses, and I, it's worth uh, worth remembering. It says, "Since child, since I'm reading from uh, Hebrews chapter two, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those." who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, He is able to help those, help us, who are also being tempted. And just a few verses from chapter four of of Hebrews. Since therefore we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us during our time of need. Yes, that's the ascension. And by the way, because of its association with the temple, because of the blessing uh, that uh, Jesus gives his disciples. All of this points back to uh, to the book of Leviticus, to Aaron the priest, right, who blessed the people before the, the tabernacle was uh, in, uh, inaugurated. Um, the priest would go into it. The incense would provide a cloud, and it was in that cloud that the priest would enter in to the Holy of Holies, Yes, and it's, of course, in Acts, we're reminded that Jesus goes up, goes up in a cloud. I think So all of that is essential. And so when we think about the ministry, when we think about Jesus and think, and think about what saves us, we shouldn't just say, oh, it's his death and resurrection. Somehow these are just events or we turn them into events. Yes, this is about a person. And it's his entire life that the book of Romans says saves us, right? His conception, his birth, his humble, learning humble obedience, his ministry and being baptized by the Spirit, his confrontation with the devil, his teaching, his parables, the example that he lives, the sacrifice on the cross indeed, his resurrection, the ascension, his continuing ministry of intercession, his his return, his second coming, all of those things become essential. And let us, you might say, focus on the whole package. But there's something else I think that's also very important for us for the the time in which we live. Because the ascent of Jesus into a cloud is surely, I think we can all agree, it's a fulfillment of what we read in Daniel chapter 7. And can I remind you of the verses that Jesus himself uh, so often appropriated, Yes, to identify himself or to define his ministry. It says in Daniel chapter seven, and I'm gonna start um, in verse nine. It says, as I looked, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. And here we have this beautiful description of who God is, right? His clothing was white as snow. His hair was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. And its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. And then it continues. It says, in my vision at night, here comes another figure. Yes, I looked and there was before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, clouds. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worship him. His dominion is everlasting that will not pass away. And his kingdom was one that will never be destroyed. Notice we started in verse nine, there are thrones in heaven. Not just one throne, yes, but more than one throne. Why would God need more than one throne? Because obviously in the ancient Jewish understanding, there was one throne for the Messiah. And Jesus, yes, being equal with God, gives all of that up, comes and lives amongst us, yes. And his vindication is not just the resurrection, but the vindication is that he is, you might say, recrowned. Yes, that the ascension is a coronation as yes, Jesus is. And in the midst of the coronation, or as, as you might say, as a, a result of that coronation, the book of Ephesians helps us to better understand what it means. When, G, when it tells us that Jesus, yes, ascended and he rules and reigns. And I think uh, for us in the time in which we live, this has some very practical, uh, you might say, this has some very practical consequences. And so in Ephesians, especially chapter one, which is a very long sentence. So it's very hard to know where to start in Ephesians chapter one. But let's start and let's start in verse 16. Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. the Spirit of wisdom, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, And revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. Listen to that, great power for us who believe, right? Jesus is ruling and reigning in power, and there is going to be, you might say, the sharing of that power for those who believe. It says, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the sake of the church. I'm adding a few words, for the church, right? He's he's the head over everything, which is his body, right? So think about it for a moment. We think of the church as the, you know, the place with the copy machines, the place that takes the collection, the place with the paid staff. We think of the church as the building. Many of us have a negative attitude toward the church. I don't go to church, but I'm spiritual. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. It, you know, it it, it goes on and on. But here the church is called his body, right? It's the extension of Jesus himself, right? You can't, I don't think you can get any more intimate than that. There can't be any, it can't be a a connection, perhaps that's any deeper, right? The actual body of Jesus, the, the imagery in John's gospel, is it not the the vine and the branch, for example. Uh, but here it's his the church, it's his body. Okay. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. All things have been put under his feet. Yes, in the world of the New Testament and perhaps much less in our world because we've we've become uh, very secular, very rationalistic. Yes, what is unseen is more important than what is seen. And there are powers and principalities uh, and forces, yes, and spirits. Some of them may be benign. Some of them are surely dangerous and malicious. All these things have been put under his feet. There is a defeat, yes. The back of evil is broken. Evil has been broken. Those forces, yes, which hate the human family or hate the human race, which bring uh, destruction and misery and confusion and chaos, and ultimately murder and death, right? Frustrating the lives, imprisoning the lives of millions. Yes, those forces have now been put under the feet of Jesus. And their total defeat or their total demise, yes, is is imminent, is imminent. And what it means to be in the body of the Messiah or what it means to be the church is that we too share in that victory. Yes. Now, when I go back to Daniel 7 and the coronation scene, sometimes we stop at the end of verse 14. But if we were to go further... What do we learn? We learn that there is, yes, that uh, when the Messiah, when this figure takes his throne, yes, that the process of his rule and reign, yes, or we might say that his rule and reign is not immediate. It's a process. And that those who are his saints in Daniel chapter 7, yes, They come under uh, oppression and difficulty. There is, you might say, combat or warfare. But eventually, at the end of the chapter, we are assured, yes, um, that the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will obey him. All rulers will obey him. Now, the book of Ephesians is very practical, and it wants to help us live in such a way, yes, where we no longer fear what is unseen, and we no longer fear what is seen, and we no longer, we're no longer, you might say, under the influence Yes, of these powers and principalities. They're not described. We don't have a lot of detail. The New Testament doesn't practice the presence of evil. It just assures us that Jesus is victorious. And it assures us that we can also share in that same victory. Right? And that it's in the ascension, right? It's in the ascension that allows us to share in that victory. So at the end of the day, we're not in fear. At the end of the day, we don't feel like our lives are spinning out of control, or somehow that our identity is under challenge, or that we can't take any kind of risk, right, because of the, the way, the, you might say, the way the world is going, all right? That's always been a human fear. This fear of chaos, this fear of things somehow spinning out of control, right? Jesus is ruling and reigning confidently, right? In assurance, we too share in that rule and reign, and we should do so in faith and with assurance. Romans 5.17 says, because of the death of Jesus, we can reign with him in life, We can reign with him in life. And so how does that work using, just looking at Ephesians? Yes. First, remember that when Jesus left, he told, in the book of Acts, even in the book of Luke, he tells the disciples, you are my witnesses. What are we the witnesses of? We're the witnesses of his, and part of his victory. Yes, over over these unseen forces, the forces of the demonic. Yes, the forces of powers and principalities which control institutions and control family systems and control the fate of communities, right? It's very interesting, you know, in um, Ephesians 3.10, when it talks about the, the mystery of God has been revealed uh, to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Um, this, this mystery of God. What is the mystery of God is that Jews and Gentiles, yes, those people who hated each other, who were at each other's throat, who misunderstood each other. And Paul hints that this is the work of the devil. He says, they now can be in one body, right? There can be peace between Jews and Gentiles, just like there can be peace between blacks and whites, or there can be peace between uh, Catholics and Protestants, whatever it may be, right? So this uh, this becomes very practical. We become his witnesses. And it's in chapter four that he tells us, Paul tells us that in order to be God's witnesses, in order to share in this victory, it has to be not just spiritual, not just something that happens in the heavenlies. It has to be something that's worked out in the practical and in the concrete. And uh, the first thing Paul says, one of the first things he says, he said, Jesus ascends in chapter four, verse nine. He ascends in order to do what? In order to, to give us First of all, to give us himself, right? And remember that in the midst of this battle, in the midst of, uh, of our um, uh, overcoming uh, those forces, these powers and principalities, Jesus is praying for us and interceding for us. But then it says that he gives us gifts, right? And this is obviously through the Holy Spirit, And there's without question the rule and reign of Jesus is taking place through the Spirit himself. And uh, just remember the way that Jesus connects the kingdom of heaven with the Holy Spirit. For example, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me in Luke chapter four, in order to bring good news to the poor. Yes, in order to set the captives free, right? That's the work of the kingdom of heaven. Or Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you know, if I am casting out the devil, yes, by the Holy Spirit, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. Then my rule and reign, yes, my ruling and reigning, my taking control has come into this given situation, right? So we understand, even in his earthly ministry, right there's this intimate connection between his rule and reign and the Holy Spirit, and here the Holy Spirit gives gifts, and the purpose of those gifts are not an end in themselves they are not to glorify people right but these are gifts to enale- to enable us to learn to live in victory right what are the gifts um, Prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, in order to do what? Start a ministry? Have a mailing list? Have a private jet? Right? I'm the prophet so and so. I'm the apostle so and so. All of this is for what? It's given. To prepare God's people for works of service so that what the body of Christ, the Messiah, can be built up. It can be strengthened. It can live into its identity. We can live into it. Our calling, right? So that we can reach unity and the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. And he goes on to, he goes on to say that we're no longer infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind, uh, every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men. Instead, speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's what it means to be a witness, right? We are his witnesses. This is what it means in part to overcome evil. Spiritual warfare isn't always just praying or casting out something or using the name of Jesus, right? Spiritual warfare is about... Maturity, it helps us to overcome and again, to live in victory without being buffeted by fear is to be emotionally and spiritually mature. And God has provided apostles and evangelists to do that work. It's not about me and Jesus, right? It's just about the community. Jesus goes up in order to send gifts down. Secondly, I may remind you that being his witnesses, Paul goes on in this chapter, chapter four, he tells us don't give a place to the devil. Don't give a place to the devil. What does it mean not to give a place to the devil? Well, he gives all kinds of, he gives all kinds of examples. And many of these examples concern the way that people in the body of Christ treat each other He says, um, for example, uh, put off your former way of life, which is corrupt by deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. Sounds beautiful, but here's the practical application. You put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold, right? So this kind of activity, like right, that instead of right, being victorious, we, allow, we suffer, you might say, we suffer defeat. Um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then later, Paul goes on in chapter six to talk about spiritual warfare, which again isn't magic and isn't just mumbo jumbo. And it's just not something that happens when we sing, which is a good thing, and we declare the word of God. This is very important. It also happens when we, yes, when we know the truth and live the truth. So it happens that Paul says, you know, put on the shoes of peace. What does he say exactly? It says, um, well, hold up a shield of faith and have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, right? The gospel is not something, again, that happens in our heart, but it happens, yes, It happens in a community or in a society. That's what it means to be His witnesses. The world has to see that by being intimately attached to Jesus and sharing in His life, that we as a community, yes, can live in a radically different way. We can because of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, and all the practical help that he provides, we can do what others cannot, all right? We can be generous, we can be merciful, we can forgive our enemies, can we not? We can live in a way that in which we imitate God because we have an assurance of the future. And we don't fear that basic human fear is, hey, there's not enough for me. If I'm generous or merciful, you know, what's gonna be left over for me or for my family or or for my community? If I forgive my enemies, Who's going to bring justice? So I won't forgive my enemies and I'll hold a grudge or I'll hold a hatred, whatever it may be. Or why should I be a sucker and give my life away and serve others? The future is, for many people, especially now, Things seem to be out of control, and there is some kind of fear that uh, we can't influence what happens, whether it's world events or the institutions in which we have, right? that uh, there are forces at work you know, that somehow are, are more powerful than we are. Many people believe this who aren't even Christian. And by the way, just because the Christian influence in Western countries is declining doesn't mean that people are any less religious. They're still religious. They're just perhaps religious in a bad way. Yes. And so I think with all uh, all of these fears, fear for the future, actually fear for the present, right? We as a community can be confident. There's still a battle to be fought, but ultimately we know that we don't have to be controlled by these forces. We're not under the influence of powers and principalities unless we give them some kind of access. And that with confidence, right, we know the future and ultimately our future is to reign not only in this life with Christ, but to reign with him uh, in the future and to overcome, yes, all those things that uh, so many of us fear, including the fear of death itself. Jesus is there to help us. Father in heaven, thank you that your son prays for us that uh, in our weakness, we can go to him, that in our fear, we can go to him and be comforted, that we can be reassured. And thank you that uh, you have strengthened us and given given us those tools, and even those weapons of warfare in which we can overcome the evil one, in which we can overcome uh, those forces Yes, which seek to, uh, to destroy your family, your creation. Lord, we pray that um, our victory and our confidence will not be one of uh, arrogance or triumphalism. But Lord, we ask that uh, as a community, we will express our humble dependence upon you and the gratitude of your son Once again, for the victory he wins through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his continual intercession on our behalf. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page on SoundCloud or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the
2: King.